this episode of our Commercial Contracts 2022 podcast, a series of podcasts by Stevenson and Bolton designed to help you and your team approve your terms, conditions, your master services arrangements, your outsourcing contracts or standard terms. I'm Beverly Flynn, Partner and Head of Commercial and Technology at SMB, and today I'm joined by Beverly Whitaker, who is a member of the commercial team and has had a wealth of experience dealing with commercial contracts, drafting and negotiation. And a particular interest, dare I say, on limits on liability themselves. Uh, That's right, Beverly, and um, I'm hoping that we can have a useful discussion of that today. Great. So my first question to you is, I mean, why is this an important area and, and is it really important? Well, when any supplier is performing services or supplying goods, um, there must be a risk that things are going to go wrong and that this may result in some form of loss or damage. So there has to be a danger to the supplier that a customer may uh, sue to recover damages that potentially might far exceed any profits that can be earned. So suppliers will typically want to include clauses that restrict their liability in some way. I mean, and so, as you can imagine, this is a is likely to be a fairly hotly disputed area, both commercially and, and legally. And it's an area with a lot of law, uh, as we'll come on to, and there are also, you know, significant legal controls on how this operates. Right. So I can see why, from the supplier's point of view, it's significant. And if you were acting for a supplier um, and you're looking at your T's and C's, what would you say are the main things that you'd want to cover in terms of limits on liability? I think the main things um, are really, uh, of course, to have some kind of a financial cap on liability. Uh, however, however, that is uh, is is drawn up. Uh, you know, whether it's annual uh, or, or uh, an overall cap. Um, but also, um, we would recommend having exclusions of liability, and you typically see these. Uh, exclusions of areas of loss like loss of profit, loss of revenue, potentially loss of data, depending upon the subject matter of the contract. Um, And also you tend to see exclusions of uh, indirect and and consequential loss. And these are obviously supported by other provisions in the agreement, like making sure the service scope is is tight, uh, force majeure clauses and the like. But the the limits and the, uh, the cap and the exclusions, I suppose, the heart of it. So is there a standard cap or kind of approach to um, what that cap on liability, that financial cap might be? Well, that would be good, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, there may be some industry standards um, or, or norms, shall we say, um, you know, often you'll see caps uh, set at the fees paid or payable or a multiple of those. But there are there are no rules. And just because something is kind of commonplace in an industry doesn't mean it's it's right. Um, ideally, the parties would reach agreement on what works, what protects the supplier, what works for the customer. But, you know, we're we're talking mainly today about standard contracts or, or certainly in the main and, um, you know, pragmatically often um, the supplier will have to just uh, include a number um, in the contract. You know, the whole point is that they're not going to be extensively negotiated. Um, the other thing I wanted to raise was was uh, was that of insurance, and um, certainly in in some areas you do see caps linked to uh, insurance levels, which can be a way through. But you know, 
what the insurance level is, what will actually get paid out. These two things are not necessarily the same. So, you know, care required if you're going to adopt that approach. Okay, so you, you mentioned that there are um, certain types of loss or damage that you may exclude or complete exclusions of liability. What are these likely to cover? What kind of things are we thinking of here? One of the main, and you may have seen this kind of lists of things that you tend to see, are things like loss of profit, loss of revenue, uh, loss of business, loss of opportunity, loss of reputation, uh, damage to data, data loss, that kind of thing. Um, again, it depends what the contract is, but often you'll see those kind of financial losses completely excluded on the basis that a supplier is saying it simply doesn't want uh, anything to do with those. Um, and then you also have this, uh, uh, this issue, which I'm sure we'll come on to, of um, exclusions of indirect and consequential loss, which are very common. Yeah, well, as lawyers, we're probably more au fait with the terms um, exclusion of indirect or consequential losses, but maybe for the layperson, are these important and what does it mean in practice? Uh, well, they are important um, and um, uh, unfortunately it is rather legalistic, but I'll try and briefly explain. Uh, so on the one hand, we have direct loss uh, and, and that's the kind of loss that uh, one might describe as an obvious loss following a breach of contract. Then on the other hand, we have indirect loss or consequential loss. Those two words mean, mean the same uh, thing for these purposes. So these are not obvious losses. And to be recoverable by a customer, the supplier needs to be aware that they are possible um, so, you know, if a supplier supplies some defective goods and uh, it knows that these were going to be on-sold by a customer in a big important deal uh, and then that can't happen because the goods were defective, then arguably that loss of bargain by the customer was foreseeable and so the supplier may be liable for that as well. So, as you can probably imagine, suppliers are quite keen to exclude indirect loss because it seems very broad. Um, but it's really important not to muddle them up with categories of financial loss like loss of profits. They're not synonymous. They might amount to the same thing, but they might not. And many court decisions have found that loss of profit is direct. Uh, and so the exclusion of indirect loss simply doesn't work at all. So what you really are saying is that you need to exclude them both. Exactly right. I think, you, you know, you have to, on the one hand, exclude all indirect loss. And if you're worried about loss of profit, then exclude loss of profit. And on a point of detail, because we are looking at updating your terms and conditions, don't say that you're excluding liability for all consequential or indirect losses, including loss of profit. That's just wrong and will only exclude loss of profits that are classed as consequential, not the direct ones, which are actually much more likely to occur. Yes, that that um, that that age old conundrum of why have you put including in there and the famous British sugar case, am I right? 
Uh, well, there are a whole, there are a, a raft of cases on that, and I suppose my my own favourite um, uh, is the uh, the British Gas GB Holdings case, and yeah. I think it was Accenture, where there was an exclusion of indirect loss uh, that Accenture were hoping to rely on in relation to millions of pounds worth of. Um, claims that related to payouts to customers by British Gas, um, ex-gratia payments, no less, uh, but those were found to be direct losses. And so the exclusion of indirect losses simply didn't work. So, okay, so a, sal a salutary tale. Pretty significant, actually. Yes. Uh, so it seems that suppliers are able to do quite a lot to escape liability. Um, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Are there any controls? So, because it does seem a bit unfair, doesn't it? That as a supplier, you can just say, I'm not responsible. Well, yes. I mean, you you know, one one might feel that. Uh, it is an area with uh, quite a lot of control, actually. Um, and uh, perhaps surprisingly, the main area of control for business to business contracts is still the uh, 1977, believe it or not, Unfair Contract Terms Act. Um, and in particular, um, liability for breach of standard terms uh, of the type that we're talking about today, so sort of non-negotiated terms, can only be restricted if the clause satisfies uh, the UCTA reasonableness test. Yeah, I suppose um, challenge must be uh, the way forwards for customers. Are clauses challenged often and what kind of things do the courts look at? Um, they are challenged um, reasonably frequently. I mean, you do see quite a lot of litigation in this area because there's often a lot at stake. Um, the the Unfair Contract Terms Act itself sets out the things to be taken into account when you're assessing them. Um, you know, so a customer basically will be saying that exclusion of liability of whatever it is, £10,000 is, is unenforceable because it's unreasonable under UCTA. So there'll then be an analysis by the court as to whether this reasonable test is satisfied and it will be looking at things like, um, uh, and critically I think for, for standard terms, how prominent the terms were. Um, so, you know, if things are hidden away, that is not ideal. Uh, they'll also look at the bargaining position of the parties. So a sort of David and Goliath type situation. Um, you know, David is definitely going to be favoured. And the court will, in relation to that, look at things like the availability of insurance, because uh, often it's uh, it's a supplier, not always, as we'll see, often it's a supplier who's in a better position to insure. Um, and, and in theory, things like whether other terms were offered, uh, perhaps uh, higher limits at higher prices. Again, you might think that's fairly unlikely, but you do you do see that kind of thing. And if you if you ever uh, are in the happy position of looking at the case law on this, um, you'll see that the courts do fairly methodically go through these tests to see um, to see whether it should be uh, determined as reasonable or or uh, or unreasonable. And um, it's the risk of this kind of raking over the coals after the event of challenge and the questioning of the enforceability of these clauses that makes them 
um, you know, kind of risky, I suppose, and why it's difficult for lawyers to say that these clauses are definitely going to be uh, enforceable. Uh, and just to just to reiterate that, I, I just wanted to mention again, it's it's a, it's quite an old case now, but St Albans and ICL, uh, 1996, dare I say, but there it was a big IT contract. It had a hundred thousand pound cap on it. But uh, one of the important factors as to why that cap was not enforceable uh, was that the ICL's insurance cover, the contractor's insurance, was fifty million pounds. So you know, the court said, you know, no way. You know, is a hundred thousand pounds reasonable in that context? To be contrasted, which shows you how difficult it is to assess these things, a recent case, Good Life Foods and uh, hall fire protection there there was a really wide exclusion of liability in a fire system installation set of terms but that was upheld um, because the the um, hall fire protection had made it clear that any problems with the system would have to be insured against due to the property damage that could occur and the customer could have paid more to have the supplier take insurance out for that, but he chose not to. So the court upheld um, really a blanket exclusion of liability. Are there any other kind of exclusions that will not be permitted, for example, under ACTA? Yes, there are. Um, you know, to your point, you know, it seems like people can exclude liability willy nilly. It's, it's not the case, uh, even in B2B. So, um, you know, as, as, as many know, it's not possible to limit your liability for death or personal injury caused by your own negligence. Um, and um, in areas about misrepresentation, um, which which can be a real issue, you know, where the sales force go off and start saying things that aren't perhaps 100% accurate. Um, excluding liability for misrepresentation is difficult, and that is also subject to the uh, up to reasonableness test. And I guess at the extreme end of the scale, you know, obviously you can't exclude liability for your own fraud uh, or fraudulent misrepresentation. Right, so quite a lot to think about there. What what about customers? How should they think about limits on liability? What, you know, looking from the customer's perspective. Well, I mean, obviously, when they're reviewing supplier terms, so when when they're um, looking at the, the documentation that's been put in front of them, um, they just need to properly consider what the effect of the cap and any exclusions and other measures in this area are going to have on the recovery that they can make. Um, you know, the contract is there gen generally only looked at when things go wrong. So if when you start reading it because there's a problem with what's been supplied, it turns out that there's a really tight cap and there's no liability for this, that and the other, you may start to feel you'd, you'd rather wondered why you'd got a contract in the first place. Um, so really make sure that you understand how the limits work and how that's going to affect what you can do. Um, and then I guess conversely, I mean, this whole, you know, this, this whole um, piece that we're doing really is about suppliers, but they, you know, need to consider their own liability position in perhaps their purchase terms and other procurement contracts or in, in negotiated supply contracts and you know have they got active obligations uh, that might need their liability limiting you know often customers 
you know, might be um, providing equipment or premises or holding data. So, you know, it might not just be about paying the bills. It, there might be something, uh, you know, whereby a customer could do uh, could do some uh, some damage. Um, I'd also mention that one of the things we have seen um, is that customers are wary of limits on liability and so have more proactively started drafting provisions that uh, state positively what a supplier may be liable for. So rather than it all being about excluding liability, we're seeing provisions uh, being included by purchasers saying, you know, that whatever else in the agreement says, you, you the supplier, will be responsible for the following types of losses. Now, obviously, again, that can be quite controversial to negotiate, but it can also be a very useful thing to include in standard purchasing agreements. Yeah, fair point, actually. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. I'm conscious that time is ticking. Are there any final points that we should take away from the guru on limits on liability? Well, like you say, we've covered a lot of ground and it's a complicated area. I just reiterate that we've been talking about business to business. Uh, it's much harder to limit liability in the consumer space where there are more controls and uh, more difficult concepts of transparency and fairness. Um, it is a contested area, so you need to be careful. Um, your clauses may be challenged. So uh, the drafting really from both parties point of view needs to be clear and careful uh, to try and avoid future disputes uh, and legal challenge. Um, suppliers need to bear in mind that there's a danger in going too far and making restrictions so wide that they are unenforceable. Um, and don't overlook the, the potential benefits of including a kind of remedy regime. I mean, that, that may not apply to the services you provide, but in some areas it can really work um, to say, you know, we will do this, we will repair the goods, we will come and reperform the services, and that's it, so that, you know, you've made a positive statement of what you will do. Um, and I guess a um, final uh, point would be to absolutely stress again the dangers of relying um, entirely on exclusions of indirect loss uh, and that old Accenture case that I was uh, referring to, that if you are excluding, if you're worried about loss of profit, make sure that is excluded and don't just rely on exclusions of indirect loss. That's great, Beverly. Thanks. I think probably for me, one of the key takeaways to bear in mind is that this is commercially important and we shouldn't just treat it as part of the commercial boilerplate in an agreement. Would you agree? I'd, I'd completely agree. Obviously, it is a bit of a pet area, but uh, I think it, it certainly deserves our attention. Thank you for all our listeners for tuning in today. Please do contact me or usual Stevens and Bolton contact if you'd like any further information that we've discussed. Please look out for any future podcasts on issues that may be of relevance to your standard terms and conditions. Thanks for listening.